Well, good morning, Orchard Hill. We are continuing in our seven-week summer series on the I Am statements. There are seven statements of Jesus that's found in the book of John that tell us who Jesus is as the great I Am. Tells us what that means for us following the I Am and, and who he is. So this morning we're continuing our series and we're going to be in an old familiar story found in John 11. So I want to invite you to turn with me to John 11. The story of Jesus raising his dear friend Lazarus from the grave. I, I would love to know by a show of hands how many of you are familiar with this story. Okay, so... We're not reading new scripture for most of us this morning. If we are, hallelujah, get excited. It's a, great, uh, it's a great testimony of who our God is. But for those of us who are familiar, my prayer is that the Spirit is going to move in a way that teaches us something fresh today. Because there's a lot to be found in this tale, this true tale. And we only have a little bit of time to unpack it. So if we move quickly, we'll keep up together. Let's roll. Um, we're going to read the word of the Lord from the book that we love, John 11. As you see, it's a long chapter, so we're going to jump in at verse 17. A little bit of context. Um, Jesus has gotten word with his disciples that his dear friend Lazarus has fallen critically ill. So Jesus, instead of getting up and going immediately, he waits two days with his disciples where they're at. And then he gets up and he says, disciples, basically Lazarus is dead and we need to go where he is so we can wake him. And we enter into our reading today to the scene of Jesus arriving where Lazarus' family is and being greeted by his two sisters, Mary and Martha. So, let's read the word of the Lord from the book that we love. John 11, starting in verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And after she had said this, they went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Mary and Martha met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, 
By this time, there is a bad odor, for he has been in there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Every sermon, not sorry, every funeral sermon that I have ever done in the life of a believer starts with these words of Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. And it's fitting, isn't it? This is a passage that deals with death and the hope that we, as those who believe in Jesus, have after death brings us comfort. But these words of Jesus mean so much more to us than comfort when we face earthly death at an event like a funeral. These words of Jesus mean something for each and every one of us sitting in this room, each and every one of us across time and space that call Jesus Lord. They mean something for our lives here today because Jesus isn't just about life beyond life on earth. He is about that, and that is a promise that we cling to. But I think in this passage, Jesus demonstrates that he cares about life now, here, today. Jesus tells us in the Gospels that he came that we may have life and have it abundantly. And that doesn't just start when we die and go to the other side of eternity. That's for now. So today, we're not just asking, where is our hope when we face physical death? Today, we're asking, what do these words of Jesus, what does it mean for us as the followers of the great I am today that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Well, first off, we see that Jesus being the resurrection and the life means for us today that there is no place he is not willing to go to bring us resurrection and life. When Jesus is, is, gets the word that Lazarus is really sick, he's not that far from where Lazarus is. But he doesn't go immediately. And when he does decide to go to the place Lazarus is, to Bethany, which is a small village in Judea, his disciples have a hold-up kind of moment. Jesus tells them, come, we, we need to go wake Lazarus. But what we find out in the context before, in the verses right before we started reading, is that something bad just went down in Judea for Jesus and the disciples. The religious leaders had just tried to kill Jesus in Judea. So Jesus not only is going somewhere different than where he's ministering at the time, but he's going into what you could call enemy territory. This isn't just a stroll. It's about a day's journey. It's not just a day's stroll. It is a walk into the possibility of death for Jesus. And his disciples pick up on this. They were there. They're like, wait a second, where did we just come from and where do you want to go back to? Actually, in the verse right before we started reading, in verse 16, Thomas, 
Maybe you're the sassy disciple like I think Thomas was. Thomas says this, let us all go that we may die with him. He's talking about Lazarus. He's saying, sure, Jesus, let's all go to Judea so we can all be dead men because they just tried to kill us there. Let's go back. What a great idea, Jesus. He's already dead. So let's go help a dead man so we can all be dead men too. Are you like Thomas? Are you the sassy one? Does your prayer life ever sound like that with Jesus? Jesus, this is not a good idea. That's what they're facing. They're facing what seems to the disciples a terrible idea. What feels like and really is enemy territory. But Jesus goes anyway. Without a thought to his personal safety. Because the truth is what it means for Jesus to be the resurrection and the life today is there is no place, no place in our lives, no place in this world from here to Eurasia and everything in between that Jesus isn't sovereign over, that Jesus isn't in control over. It may look like enemy territory, but Jesus says, for my sheep, there's no enemy I'm not willing to face. For my sheep, there is no territory that I am not king over, that I cannot bring life from death in. This is mine. And so, brothers and sisters, what we learn about Jesus being the resurrection and the life today means that wherever you are in life, whatever enemy territory you feel like you've stumbled into and you can't get out of, Jesus can bring life there without any thought. Jesus can bring life, whatever enemy territory you find yourself in today. Believe it. He can do it. He proves that to us here. And we learn more about Jesus. We learn more as Jesus refuses to go immediately. How many of you have ever gotten word that someone you love has been sick? Or, or in the hospital? Maybe there's an emergency, right? Did you hang out for a while or did you get up and go? You probably got up and went. Jesus doesn't do that. <laughs> Lazarus is a good friend of Jesus from what we know from Scripture. This wasn't just some guy that they were asking, oh, please come heal him. Lazarus is a good friend. And Scripture says Jesus gets the word that he's essentially dying, and he does nothing. He stays where he is. Now, we could hear in that that Jesus is indifferent and doesn't really care, but I don't think that's what's going on. That's not who our God is and not what his character is. It's only a day's walk. He could have been there like that. But instead, Jesus waits. And we're told in the context that by the time Jesus gets there, Lazarus has already been dead for four days. I don't know about you, but there aren't a lot of people who have been dead for four days that I've held out a lot of hope for in this life. He's so dead, so dead, that Mary and Martha, when they hear that Jesus is coming, their response is, where were you? <laughs> right? It's an accusation, but it's also a statement of faith. They knew he could have stopped it. They had faith, but their faith is past because they don't think there's any hope. Jesus enters into what seems to be a hopeless situation, good and dead. Do not move that stone. Nobody needs to smell that, Lord. And yet Jesus proves himself again. Moves a stone, he said. You call this dead? You call this hopeless? 
Jesus says, I call it resurrection and life. Brothers and sisters, Jesus waited, I think, intentionally to show us that what it means for him to be the resurrection and the life for us today is there is nothing beyond hope. There is no situation too full of death. There is no situation too grave that our God cannot bring new life in. Whatever it is you're facing today, and I do not say this tritely, they were facing physical death beyond dead. Whatever you're facing today, Jesus has proven over and over and proves here in this story today that there is nothing he can't reach into your life and bring to new life with his resurrection power. This is who we see the great I am to be as we read through scripture today. He proves it in this story. He raises Lazarus to life, right? But he doesn't stop proving it there. He doesn't stop proving that he is the resurrection and the life there. In fact, what we know from the story at the very end, it says some of the Jews who saw what happened, who saw Lazarus raised to life, they ran and they tattled. <laughs> they ran and they tattled to the religious leaders, and that set in motion a plan to kill Jesus. And Jesus stepped into that plan, which was actually a plan of the fathers. And he laid down his own life. John 10 tells us, Jesus said, I laid down my life only to take it up again, right? They, he moved Lazarus' stone. He resurrected Lazarus, but that wasn't the end of the proof. Jesus went on to prove he was the resurrection and the life by moving his own stone, by raising up his own life. Jesus says, the Father gave me authority to do it. I laid down my life just to take it up again. Jesus continues to prove he is the resurrection and the life and that it means something for his people today. And he's been proving it. Our God has been proving he is the resurrection and the life since the beginning of time, in the beginning of creation. God spoke. And he made life out of nothing. It said the earth was formless and void. And God spoke into life what he called a good creation. He brought life from death. When Abraham's body was as good as dead, scripture says, and Sarah's womb had been barren long past hope, God fulfilled his promise and they conceived Isaac. And so began a long line of the family of God in what seemed hopeless and dead. God brought life. When Moses and the Israelites had what, their back to the Red Sea and their face towards the deadly Egyptian army and all that seemed to surround them was death on every side, God parted the waters and made a path to life to save his people. He saved Noah and Rahab from certain death. He raised Dorcas and he raised Eutychus and he raised Lazarus and widow's sons and he raised Jesus. He has been proving that he is the resurrection and the life from the beginning of time until now, brothers and sisters. This is who our God is. And while we live with hope on this side of the already not yet, I want to address that though we know Jesus is the resurrection and the life, that doesn't mean we're not affected by death. I read this passage, I am the resurrection and the life that Jesus said. In October, a day before my son was, to, was gonna be induced to have my son new life, I read this passage at the funeral of my grandfather. 
A month ago, I laid roses on the coffin of my friend's three-day-old baby. We know that while we are in this world, the wages of sin is death, right? We know that we live between the time of the resurrection and the fulfillment of every promise when Jesus comes again. So as your pastor, I want to say to those of you who are feeling the sting of death, Jesus felt it too. There's a reason he stopped and he wept at the tomb. He knew that wasn't what it was supposed to be. But just like the sister said, Jesus, if you had done what you could do, it wouldn't be this way. Jesus did something about death. He gave his own life on the cross and he was raised again. So while we feel the pang of death, and we can't ignore that, hear the comfort of our God, hear the understanding of our God, and hear him say, I am the resurrection and the life. I have already done something about it, and you will see the fulfillment. Revelation tells us there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more weeping, for God will be with us and all things will be made new. So while we know this is true, we feel the pang of death, but we cling to that hope we have today and for eternal life. So brothers and sisters, remember, as you struggle through the realities of bro the brokenness of this world, for people like my grandfather, for people like little Lucy Ray, three days old, for those who put their hope in Jesus, death does not get the final say. Jesus is the resurrection and the life, not he has the power for it. That is in his nature who he is. John, in John chapter 1, he says, in him was life. Jesus is life itself. And in Revelation, Jesus says, he holds the keys to death in Hades. He was dead, but behold, he is alive forever and ever. So we know that while death does have a sting here, it does not have the final say. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. So brothers and sisters, as we remember what this means for us today about who our God is, I just want to leave you with one question. We sang a lot about it this morning. It's not my question, actually. It's Jesus' question. If you look back at the scripture after Jesus tells Martha, he is the resurrection and the life. He asks her one thing. Do you believe this? Orchard Hill Church, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Do you believe this today? Because if you do, your life will be changed. My husband is a hunter. Are there any hunters in here? Okay, yes. My husband is a hunter. He took me hunting for the first time. We sat facing opposite ways in the woods, and he said, if you see a deer, let me know. And I was like, yeah, okay. A little while in, I saw a deer. Kurt, there's a deer. I didn't say it that loud, because I'm not that bad at hunting. <laughs> Kurt, there's a deer. <laughs> yeah, okay. No. Kurt, there's a deer. <laughs> yeah, okay, Laura. <laughs> there's a deer. He's got his back to the doe that is actually there, that's quickly walking away out of shooting distance. Kurt, there's a deer. So he finally gives him the reluctant turn around. Sure enough, there's the doe. Vindication, he saw it. But it's far away. He's not shooting that deer now, right? 
he didn't believe what I said. He thought I was joking. He thought, I, you know, we, we joke back and forth with each other a lot. So he didn't turn around. He didn't believe me, so his actions and his course didn't change. On the other hand, there was the night we were driving in the truck. It was really dark outside, and I saw a deer coming across the road before Kurt noticed it. Side note, that's a miracle. My husband and I have totally different drives. He's like on a safari seeing all this wildlife, and all I see are billboards. So the fact that I saw an animal before he did was incredible. So I yell, babe, there's a deer! And he slams on the brakes in a nice, cautious, curt kind of pro-driving way. And we avoid the deer, praise the Lord. He reacted instantly because he heard my tone. He knew the season it was, and he believed wholeheartedly that I had seen what I had seen. Because he believed what I said, his actions changed. Friends, when we believe God at his word, our lives look different. Every gospel was written to a different audience. Luke was written to the Greeks. Yes, we learn from it, but it was written with the lens towards them to help them believe. Matthew was written to the Jews, but John, John was written for the church, partially. And I think there's a reason he writes, do you believe this? Because as the church, sometimes we're the ones that need to be reminded the most that these words of Jesus are real. They're not just phrases that we say and things that we say to make ourselves feel better and that we do as a church. It's real. This is what we've staked our lives on. And so when we believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, our lives change when we believe that. They change from being people like, like so many others in the world who look at every day with hopelessness to seeing the possibility of what God can do. We're changed. And we believe that God can move. That means we believe God can bring life. That means if you're stuck in a marriage that seems dead, you believe that if you bring that to the Lord together, he can move and he can make that alive in a way that you have not experienced together in decades maybe. That means if you're trapped in a cycle of anxiety and depression, Jesus can bring you hope, joy, and peace because he is the resurrection and the life. That means if you're facing a financial situation that seems to have no answer, the one who found the answer to death by bringing life can surely bring you a solution somehow. Whatever you are facing today, when you believe this, when you've been renewed because you believe and in faith put your trust in the Lord and receive the Spirit, that Spirit can do things. The resurrection and the life is moving. And when you believe, you look at life differently. And you know that there is nothing, no enemy territory, no situation too hopeless, no place in life that God cannot bring life from death. So brothers and sisters, do you believe today? And if you do, then you go out into this dark and desperate world like Wendy was saying earlier. And may your life be a testimony of life. May your life, the way you live, the way you have been changed irrevocably by God himself, be a testimony of the power of the resurrection and the life so that the world in darkness may know that darkness does not have the final say. That all we, all we look around and see is death. That that death does not have the final say for those of us who are in Christ. If we believe 
that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. May we run to the ends of the world and bring a testimony that life is possible in the face of certain death. And just like in verse 45, it says, the Jews that saw this believed, may the world see Jesus in you and may they believe in the resurrection and the life himself. Amen. Amen. Lord, we come to you this morning and I know in my own life and I think I can speak in the lives of my brothers and sisters here that we are in desperate need of resurrection and life. In so many areas of our life, God, we've received your spirit through faith in you, and we thank you for that. And in your spirit, we pray that you would bring life to the places in our life, to the places in our communities, to the places at our, at our workplaces and our sports teams and in our relationships that feel dead, that feel hopeless, that feel like the enemy has gotten no grip on them. May you bring resurrection and life in the face of certain death and hopelessness. And may the enemy not have a hold or any ground in the lives of your people. God, surprise us this week in the places that maybe we didn't even know needed your resurrection power. And do what only you can do, we pray. And Lord, for the world that is lost in darkness, we pray that we would boldly live as a testimony of ones who have been resurrected and who trust in your resurrection power day by day. May the world see in us what only you can do, bring life. And it's in Jesus' name, all of God's people said, amen. amen. So brothers and sisters, in just a moment, we are going to dismiss um, to our breakout groups. First, I want to remind you that after the service, um, we are going to have a celebration of a baby shower for the Salmons. So everyone is invited. Yeah, praise the Lord for new life, right? Everyone's invited to the gathering space to join us for that after our breakout groups. And I want to remind you that um, the young man that we will not name who is going out to Eurasia um, to bring uh, the good news to an unreached people group on behalf and in partnership with Orchard Hills. This Sunday is his last Sunday here with us. So I want to invite you to take time to visit with him after the service as well. Um, so that being said, we are going to start with our front rows, the four tribes in the front. You guys can get up and go ahead and head out to your breakout groups. Give them a second as we dismiss and then we'll do our middle rows next.